Isn't that good? Being connected to the vine when you're thinking about contentment and how to be contented, contented in this life. The contentment comes from being connected to Jesus. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what that means today and how to have a life of commitment. But first I want to announce something to you, and that is that uh, two weeks from today, we're going to have a baptism day. And it's not going to be here. It's going to be at a really nice location over uh, on the other side of Lebanon. And uh, Ben, if you could put that picture up there of the, of the baptism. Uh, they, a family created this baptism pool in their uh, yard a few years ago as a blessing to the community. And so we're going to go there. And so any of you who have been thinking about being baptized, this would be just a great moment to celebrate that. So as a church family after service, we're going to drive over there at 1 o'clock, and we're going to have a baptism service over there. And we encourage you guys to be there. And if you're thinking about it, please let us know. And, uh, and be preparing for and thinking about uh, being baptized in two, two weeks. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for teaching us through your word. Thank you, God, for what it means to have a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray as we study today that you would enliven us. You would help us understand more, but not just information, God, that would be transformation in our life, that would be changed by the things that we hear from the word of God. And through your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it is probably safe to say that we lived in the most materialistic society that has ever existed. There's always been um, greed, but never before have we been caught so much in the desire for things. And I think part of the reason for that is because we live in the wealthiest society ever and the richest nation ever. And when our friends buy things that we can't afford, it makes a real temptation for us. And I think it's difficult uh, in this society to really maintain perspective. And I think another reason we're so greedy is that we have been exposed to so much advertising. I I can look for a product on Google and search it, and if I go to my Facebook feed within moments, they're going to have my products available for me right there. I don't know know how it works, but it's a big conspiracy, man. You know, they're just trying to come after us, and and, uh, and, and now you want to buy that because you're so exposed to Uh, your products, and they have targeted you now. And and I think that one of the reasons we struggle with this is because many times we associate worth with what people own. And we say, well, what is that person worth? What is their net worth? We don't mean spiritually. We mean, what do they own? What are they they worth in terms of financially? Now, in and of themselves, things are not wrong. But when things lead to out-of-control debt or they keep us from being generous with our resources, or if we aren't able to plan effectively for our future, then stuff has taken over our lives. And that's where we have to learn contentment. And so today I want to talk about contentment. And one day Jesus signaled this desire for more in people and turned it around on its heels. And he encountered a man named Zacchaeus. And you remember the story as Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and Zacchaeus wanted more and more and more. That's why he was a tax collector, and he had even taken money from people. But when he encountered Jesus, and Jesus said, today I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus, something changed in Zacchaeus, radically changed in his life. And and in fact, he said, Lord, if I have taken anything from the poor and I've cheated anything, I'll pay back four times as much, and I want to give half of my possessions to the poor. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house, not because of possessions, but because Zacchaeus realized what was most important. And friends, what I want to tell you is when you encounter Jesus fully, totally, 
there is always a different attitude that you have. Philippians 4.12 says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Mother Teresa said, you can, you can really say, you can't really say Christ is all I need until Christ is all you have. And so Paul says, I've learned how to be content. And so what I want to do for you all today is just offer some advice right out of the scripture for ways that we can kind of learn contentment. And one of them is, I think we should stop comparing ourselves to other people. Now listen, we are not big at comparing ourselves to Jesus and his holiness. That's where we go. I don't really want to compare there, but what I do want to compare is to somebody else who owns more stuff than I do, and I want to look at their stuff and say maybe I could have their stuff. I like what Irma Bombeck said one time. She said one of her prayers was, Lord, if you cannot make me thin, please make all of my friends fat. Amen. It's a comparison, right? And unfair comparisons and unreal expectations are partly responsible for dissatisfaction in, in our families and even in our marriages. We look around and say, well, if my husband would only do this or my wife would only do this, then I would, then I would be better. Or you look at somebody with a nicer car and say, if I only had that, then I would be happier. If I look at their house or their furniture and say, rather than just appreciating the fact that they have that, if I look at it and say, boy, I wish I had that and why don't I have that, then it's led to a lack of satisfaction in your life. And one of the greatest lessons you can learn is learn to admire without needing to, to acquire. Learning to admire without needing to acquire. I don't have to have everything, everything you have, and you don't have to have everything I have. We can admire that, but we don't have to acquire that. So don't play the comparison game. Listen to this verse from 2 Corinthians 10. We do not dare classify or compare ourselves with someone who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves or they compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. And so don't compare. When you look at other people and what they have, you can appreciate it, uh, but you don't know what kind of debt they're in. You don't know what kind of financial struggles they have. You don't know their situation. So just step back with a lot of wisdom and say, God, just teach me not to compare to somebody else. Let me be thankful for the blessings that you've given me. Here's the second one. Gain your significance from God, not from things. I think there's an article in uh, U.S. News and World Report, Amy Bernstein wrote, she said, for Americans who, with household incomes of under 25000 the American dream would come for them at 54000 That's what they believe. Those who make 100000 plus crave an average of 192000 In other words, the American dream usually lives twice as much as what you make today. And if you just had that, then somehow you'd be happy. Well, what we learn is we're not often satisfied. We're bombarded with over 3,000 advertisements a day. And James said, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? James 4.4. 4. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. People think that I'm going to be valued based on what I own and their possessions and their achievement and all of this is what's going to lead to them having more and more value. Friends, we have to learn the fact that our value does not come from the stuff that we own, but from who owns our heart, and that is Jesus Christ. That's why R.C. Sproul said, our problem isn't wanting things too much. Our problem is not wanting Jesus enough. And I really think that's where it comes down to with this issue of contentment. As our author friend said on the video, we have to learn that if we're going to find contentment, it's found in being connected to divine. Paul said it this way to a young leader named Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. You brought nothing into the world and you can take nothing out of it. 
But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He's saying, listen, on one side you could have godliness with contentment. And if you do, that's great game. On the other side, you can desire more and more and more. In fact, so much so that there were people that gave up their faith in the process of stuff. Not only that, he said it led them to a life of destruction and all kinds of evil. And I'm just asking you, which advice is better to follow? Which worldview would you rather choose? Would you rather have godliness with contentment and great gain, or would you have a life of pursuing other things that ultimately leads to destruction? When you realize that your value comes from God, and you realize, as the Scripture teaches, that God cares for you and provides for you, then you have a better perspective in your life. So what I would say is instead of valuing things, value that relationship with God more than anything else. And use your stuff in a way to help other people. One of the things that inspired me in the life of Sherry, our sister before she died, uh, was how she handled resources. And in the days leading up to her death, we knew, uh, in the, actually in the weeks leading up to it, she knew she had a plan. And she had a plan for her car. And she said, well, the next niece or nephew that's coming up uh, to drive is going to be Hannah and then Becca right on the heels. So Hannah's going to be going to college. She could take my car, and that would be helpful to her. And we went through her car. And Sherry had a lot of stuff in there. She liked to keep stuff, you know, like, well, I don't want to call her a hoarder because she's not here to defend herself. But, but she had things, but they weren't things for herself. As we went through her car, there were things for other people. There were Christmas gifts that she would buy when she found a sale. Things that were brand new that she just had in there just for the right moment so that when Christmas time came or some birthday of one of the children, she'd be able to give to her nieces and nephews or brothers or mom. And mom now has been going through the process of going through all the things in Sherry's home. And once again, uh, a lot of the things that she found were, pat, were things that were ready to go for be given away for Christmas time or some other occasion. When it came uh, time to decide what to do with her house, uh, she decided that she would use the proceeds from her house because she never had husband. Uh, she wanted to marry years ago, but never found the right man. And so she uh, was single all her life, never had children. And so what would happen to the proceeds from her home? And she decided that she would take that money and it would go to an account that Jonathan and myself and Mark would oversee. And that when people had needs, some type of real need in their life, that we would be able over the next many, many years to be able to provide for people in need through the proceeds of what Sherry had in her house. And it was a, a giving life, a giving spirit. And what you learn is you don't gain that spirit at the end of your life. If you don't live that kind of life where you are generous every day, day in and day out, then you're more than likely not going to live that life at the end. I see many people within their life try to hold on to their things when they know that they cannot take them with them, but they still hold on to their things rather than being generous. And I'm just telling you, be content now. Be generous now. Be a people now that say, I would rather give than to receive. Here's another one, and that is just to express thanks for what you have. The Bible teaches us to be content with what we have, but never with where we are. You see the difference? He didn't say be content with where you are. He always wants you to get more 
to be more faithful, to be someone who loves more, to be someone who continues to say, I want to have a holy discontent with kind of the status quo in my spiritual life. But you also want to say, I want to be content with what God's given me, and I need to have an attitude of gratitude in my life. Appreciate what God's given you. Ecclesiastes 5.19, Solomon said, If God gives a man wealth and property, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has. It's a gift from God. In other words, God doesn't want to begrudge you. He doesn't want you to have a bad attitude. Instead, he wants you to have a grateful attitude. Don't fall into the trap of if and when thinking. If I get this, then I'll be happy. Or when I buy this, then I'll be satisfied. Or when I get married, then I'll be happy. Or when I have kids, I'll be happy. Or when I get divorced, I'll be happy. Or if I only had this, then I would be happy. This when and then syndrome leads us to just real grumpiness in our life, and it's not worth it. You're as happy as you want to be. It's your choice. 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul said, God has richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy things. Enjoy it. Rejoice in it. Don't don't begrudge it. Look at it and have an attitude of appreciation for what God has given you. And one of the greatest ways I've had this happen in my life, to appreciate what God has given me, is to have a different perspective by going to different places in the world. Last year when we went to Appalachia, and we we dug a three-foot deep trench, Uh, that was 50 foot long, and we did it by hand to provide an elderly man and his wife water for the first time in five years. Well, that makes me a little bit more appreciative when I take a cold shower when the entire family has taken one prior to me. In 1988, I went on a mission trip to Central Guyana, South America. It's the only English-speaking country in South America. And I went to a village where there was only one community well, and you had to walk for several minutes to get to that well if you lived in this community. And you would walk and you would pump your water and then you would take it back to your home. And as I got to the pump, a man came and got right in my face. He had no spatial awareness at all. He was just right here. He was right here. And he he looked at me and he said, we're no different. I'm drinking from the well. You're drinking from the well. We both drink water. His point was made clearly. I may have more stuff, but we still have need for the basics. We still have need for water. When I went to El Salvador this year and I saw two of the church leaders use a machete to mow the lawn, I picked up a third machete and I started to mow the lawn. And now granted, the fact that those guys are about seven or eight inches shorter than I am makes it a little easier for them to machete the backyard. But uh, when I get on my zero radius turn mower (laughs) and complain about having to mow the lawn, it gives me a little more perspective because I sure would hate to do it with a machete. By the way, you don't need to travel internationally to get that kind of perspective. Become a tutor at a local school. Serve at a food pantry. Find a need and fill it. Build a relationship with somebody who is less fortunate with you, and you will begin to see things with a different perspective. That is why I really appreciated the heart of our student ministry this year, that instead of going to a conference, they decided to go to Appalachia to go to, a, to, go to serve other people in need. And over 30, 30 people from our church went to Appalachia and served those in need. Many of the students said it was the greatest experience they had ever had because part of our job is to help provide them perspective. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. By the way, when you serve, do it with the right attitude and the right heart. God gives things for your enjoyment, so enjoy them. Have an attitude of gratitude. Do not have an attitude of guilt. That doesn't come from the the Lord. That comes from the enemy. 
the enemy wants you to make you makes you feel bad for not having stuff. And when you get stuff, he wants you to feel bad for having stuff. So don't do that. Enjoy what God has given you. But God has given you things out of his abundance and he's blessed you and he's pleased to give them to you. But be good stewards of them and what he's entrusted to you. But also don't be lazy. Contentment doesn't mean laziness. Laziness is laziness, and the Bible says a lot against that. Don't do that. Be content not with uh, who, where you are. Be content. Or be content not with where you are, but with what you have. 1 John 3.17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So express love and thanks to God and express love to people. And then finally, I would encourage you to refocus on what's going to last. Because everything that you own today, not one thing that you own, not the shirt on your back, not the house you live on, not the car that you drive, everything that you own is going to be destroyed. So give attention to permanent values. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Everything you see. Nothing you see is going to last. Everything you see in this world is eventually going to decay or rust or wear out or fall apart. And it is an endless cycle that you say, oh, I must have this because I want the new thing. And what I've learned is as soon as you get an Apple 8, there's an Apple 10 right on the heels of it, right? As soon as you get a new car, one of your kids is going to spill some milk in the back seat, and your car is going to stink, and you're going to say, I must have a new car. It is an endless cycle in your life. There's nothing wrong with a new car, but be diligent, be smart, be wise. The worst thing about greed and materialism and coveting is it clouds, though, our vision and relationship with God, and it clouds our vision for what's most important. Here are the things that are going to last. What lasts in this life is your relationship with God. What lasts is your relationship and your love for other people. What lasts are your values, your freedom. These are the things you can't see, but they're the things that last. And you need to focus your eyes and attention on those things and put your attention on Christ, who is your life. There is so much more to this life than just getting things. And Jesus told a story one time about a guy who had barns and a lot of stuff. And he approached Jesus But before he did that, he even said, you know what, I think I want to build some bigger barns because I have more stuff now, and I want to build bigger barns for that stuff. And he asked Jesus, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus looked at his situation, and he said, I want to tell you what to do. You sell all your stuff. Get rid of it all. Jesus knew the hot button for this guy. The Bible says he walked away. He was unwilling to release his stuff and give his life over to Christ. And Jesus said, you're a fool. Thinking all there is to life is just getting more and more and more is going to take you to a place that really, when you get to be 70 or 80 years old, it is a miserable place. Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, a man's true life is not made up of the things that he owns. Culture says it is, but Jesus says it's not. So focus on what's going to last. Don't get motivated by the monster of more. Be motivated by an attitude of giving and thanksgiving, giving to others, thanking God for every day. Know that you can't take it with you. Don't be discontent. Be contented in this life. Listen, friends, if you knew that your neighborhood was going to be wiped out tomorrow by a tornado, would you be envious of your neighbor who was bringing in a new living room suit? No. You'd take everything out of your house that you could store somewhere else, and you would look at this and you would say, let's get my family out of here as quick as possible because the things that matter to me the most in this world are my relationship with God and my relationship with my family. There's an old song that says, when you look at others with their lands of gold, 
Think that Christ has promised you wealth untold. Count your many blessings that money cannot buy, your reward in heaven, and your home on high. So what are you living for? What are you giving your life for? Moody Monthly, several years ago, told the story about a guy named Bill Borden. Now, Bill Borden, you may recognize the name Borden because you've heard of the Borden Milk Products. And he was, was to inherit millions of dollars from his parents, the Borden Dairy Products and Real Estate. Bill Borden was an outstanding young leader. He was an athlete at Yale, but when he was 25 years of age, he inherited well over a million dollars. Now, that was in 1912. In today's currency, it would be worth well over $40 million. But he gave everything away. He gave it all away. He became a Christian as a young man, and he was very dedicated to Christ, very unpretentious. He became concerned about the lost people in China, and he decided to enter the mission field. Now, he wasn't married, and he said he didn't need much money on the mission field, so he carefully calculated how to give his money away. He gave $100,000 to the Moody Bible Institute. He gave $100,000 to the National Bible Institute. He gave $250,000 to the China Inland Mission and 100000 to be used to a retirement fund for missionaries. And in the end, Bill Borden, when he had given it all away, he went overseas to China to fulfill the dream of helping to find people who, knew, who needed to know Christ. But within a few months, Bill Borden was dead. He contracted meningitis in Cairo, and he died. And the people of the world heard that story, and they said, What a waste. What a waste. How could he waste all that money? How could he use up his fortune? But that's not the economy of God and not in the sight of history. If Bill Borden would have continued to live and hoard up all he had, for now he would be, he'd be dead and he could, have, he could have passed it on to his family and they would have maybe fought over it and wasted it. But instead, Bill gave to causes that were making a difference in the world and to Bill the more important thing was Christ and his mission, and it was more important than himself. And when he died, they found among his possessions a poem that his mother had given him when he was 17 years old. She was one of the ones who really shaped his values. And this poem kind of sums up who he was and what he did. It read, Just as I am thine own to be, friend of the young who loveth me, to consecrate myself for thee, O Christ, I come in the glad mornings of my days, my life to give, my vows to pay, no reserve and no delay. With all my heart, I come. I would live ever in the light. I would work forever in the light. I would serve thee with all my might. Therefore, I come to thee just as I am young, strong, free to be the best that I can be for truth and righteousness in thee, Lord of my life. I come. A waste? No. A beautiful investment of a life well lived, of a man who knew that he is no fool who exchanges that which he can never keep for that which he can never lose. The Lord asks a lot, but he gives a lot. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God, teach us the principles today of contentment. Help us to look at our life as a vessel to be used to love God and love people and to share the love of God with others. Help us, God, to see our life from a beautiful, eternal perspective where we know that while we're here only a short period of time, help us not get so caught up with the things the world gets caught up, with the consumption of more. 
And God, instead, help us to focus on the things that are your priorities. Help us to appreciate what we have and the fact that you've blessed us. Help us not feel bad for that. Help us not be lazy, God. Help us to be content with what we have. Help us to work hard so that we'd be able to provide, so that we would be able to serve other people. But God, help us to ultimately just rest and rely on, on our relationship with Christ to abide with you. And God, we pray this and we worship you now in Jesus' name.